0: Hello and welcome to the We Are NTC podcast, a production of NTC, Australia, and New Zealand. My name is Joseph Wood, and I am the Dean of Students at NTC and your host for the podcast. The new academic year has begun, and we're looking forward to what 2023 has in store for us. This week, we held our first chapel service, and I introduced the theme for the year, which is the Heart of Ministry, John's First Letter to the Church. In this episode of the podcast, you'll hear me give an overview of the first letter of John and I explore what it may be saying to us as a college community. We will be having six more chapel services this year. For those of you near to the Brisbane campus, please feel free to join us in person. And for those of you further away, you can connect with us using Zoom. But if joining us live is not possible for you, then subscribe to the podcast where each chapel sermon will be made available. This episode begins with a reading of 1 John chapter 2 verses 24 to 29, which is read by our registrar Pam. May God bless the reading and preaching of the word.
1: Our scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 2 verses 24 to 29 uh, from a First Nations version of the Bible. So then, let the message you first heard remain in you. If you do, then you will also remain in harmony with the Son and with the Father. His promise to us is the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. I write to you to warn you about the ones who are trying to lead you down the wrong path. But the sweet-smelling ointment of his spirit remains within you, and there is no need for anyone to teach you. The sweet-smelling ointment of his spirit is your teacher in all things through it he speaks only the truth and never anything false so remain in harmony with him just as he taught you so i say again my much loved children remain in harmony with him so that when he appears we may stand boldly before him and not have to hang our heads in shame. Since you know that the chosen one always does what is right, you can be sure that the great spirit is the father of all who walk in his right ways. This is the word of the Lord.
0: for preaching I I hope not let's pray and have a look at this passage together Father we thank you for our opportunities we have to hear from your word we thank you for those who have been faithful to passing on your word the scriptures, the God-breathed story of your relationship with us. We ask now that as we focus our attention on one piece of the Bible, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, and may we be open to hearing from you. And may we not reject anything that you challenge us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to hold this so I can actually see my sermon. Right. Welcome, everybody. It's well known, maybe it's not well known to you, but it's well known in my kind of world, that the first letter of John was John Wesley's favorite book of the Bible to preach from. Can anybody give a witness to that? (laughs) Okay, maybe it's not well known. Now you know. John was his favorite book to preach from, and the Bible is the first letter of John. It's a letter he refers to over and over again in his writings, and he refers to it as a summary of the gospel message. And he called it, quote, the deepest part of the Holy Scripture, a companion to all of Scripture. So as you're reading through the whole Bible, have one John next to you. And the phrase, God is love, he understood to be the hermeneutical framework through which the whole of Scripture should be interpreted. This is his commentary note on that verse that uh, that uh, includes the God is love uh, phrase. Richard, if you could put that on the screen. He says, this little sentence brought St. John more sweetness, even in the time he was writing it, than the whole world can bring. God is love, right? God is often styled Holy. Righteous, wise, but not holiness, righteousness, or wisdom in the abstract. You see the difference there? God might be described God as a holy God, right? It's like an adjective describing him, but that's not how love is used in this case. He is said to be love, which intimates that, his, that this is his darling, his reigning attribute, the attribute that sheds an amiable glory on all of his perfections. Does that make sense to you? Do I need to change the language a little bit? He basically says everything that we know about God begins with God is love. And any kind of attribute, any kind of characteristic we describe God with is not as big, bold, good, or capable of what the word or the phrase God is love is capable of doing. So in other words, it is one thing to describe someone as being holy, righteous, or wise, but it's a different thing to describe someone as love. Because of this, Wesley began any theological inquiry with the premise that God is love. Some advice for you as well. Any question you have, begin with that premise, God is love. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but there's a verse from 1 John behind me on the wall. I asked around yesterday to see if there was a story behind this verse on the wall. And I found out that Rob and Vanessa placed it here at the beginning of Rob's time as principal. He couldn't quite remember what was there before. It was like a a tapestry or something. Okay. So they chose this verse. I was like, okay, Rob, why did you choose this verse? And you know what he said? I liked it. (laughs) No profound story. No, you know, revelation from God. No. Lightning strike. I liked it. And actually, I agree. I think it's a great verse, and it's a good reminder, and it's a good comfort. Now, I don't know if you know this, Rob, but John Wesley's comment on this verse may make you like it even more. This is what he said, and it's up on the screen again. This verse, this is the sum of all religion. And when he says religion, he means Christianity, the genuine model of Christianity. No one can say more. Why should anyone say less? So as I read that, I was struck at how simple yet profound it is. We love because he first loved us. And I think I agree with Wesley on this one. There's so much depth in such a few amounts of words. We love because he first loved us. So our chapel services this year will focus on the first letter of John, not because John Wesley it was his favorite book, but actually I was considering what might be best for the college this year, and I kept seeing this passage on the wall behind me every time I came in this room. So having a passage like this, uh, or sorry, I kept seeing the passage behind me, and it occurred to me that whether we're conscious of it or not, having a passage like this on the wall of our place of worship is formative. Hopefully you've heard that word before. It forms us, it shapes us, it changes us. So I thought it would be good to journey through one John together and unpack this important letter written with a pastor's heart for followers of Jesus. So this afternoon, I want to briefly highlight some of the background to the letter and some themes that will emerge over the year, but I'll try not to dig too deep so those who follow me will be free to explore their assigned passages with us in greater detail. And at the end of the service, I'll, you know, there's a list of who's going to be preaching. We have some guests, we have some regulars, and each of them have an assigned bit of one John with some other passages in the rest of the Bible to coincide with it. So the background to this letter. While we cannot know with certainty the identity of the author of the letters, the question of authorship does not undermine our ability to make sense of pastoral concerns going on here. Okay, when you get into your New Testament classes and maybe you'll have a look at John, the gospel and John, the letters, you'll have plenty of discussion about who actually wrote this thing. But regardless of who wrote it, we can very clearly see what's going on in this situation. So the author of the letters gives no geographical data, so we cannot know for certain the location to those to whom he's writing. But an urban center, maybe like Ephesus, and a network of churches like that of Revelation seem probable. So we're not sure the author, but let's assume that it was the same author as the Gospel of John, or at least some disciples of him. And we can be sure that the writer intimately knows the people who are receiving this letter. They are believers in Jesus, and they've heard directly from first-hand accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, from eyewitnesses to his death and resurrection. We are telling you about the things we have seen and heard so that you may share with us the same life we share in harmony with our Father and his Son, the Messiah. It also says, I write to you because you know the truth. Okay? They already know the truth. It's a little bit different than the gospel that says, I'm writing you so that you will believe. These letters are written to a community who do believe. So the church to which the letters is addressed have received the good news. They became followers of Jesus. They began to grow and mature in their faith. But now there is an issue. A number of these followers, members of this church, have left. There was a sort of church split Now, it wasn't over pews or chairs or carpets or the kind of music being played. The reason for this split was over a fundamental truth that was taught them in the beginning. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Those who left were diverting away from the teaching that they had received in the beginning, and their influence remained amongst the community. So having identified the problem and the reason for this group's departure, the writer gives a pastoral direction to the Christian community. How can we avoid falling away from the truth that we once received? How can we avoid falling away from the truth we once received? I'm going to read uh, one passage, which you've already heard, but I'm going to read to you again. Which may steal somebody's thunder later on. And that was a hard one. I was like, who, "Who's who's uh, you know assigned passages? Am I going to read and maybe steal some other thunder?" So I chose chapter two. So Roland, sorry if you listen to this. It says this. So then, let the message you first heard remain in you. If you do, then you you will also remain in harmony with the Son and the Father. His promise to us is the life for the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. I write you to warn about the ones who are trying to lead you down the wrong path. But the sweet-smelling ointment, or anointing, of his spirit remains with you. There's no need for anyone to teach you. The sweet-smelling ointment of his spirit is your teacher in all things. And through it, he speaks only the truth and never anything false. So remain in harmony with him, just as he has taught you. So I say again, much-loved children. Remain in harmony with him so that when he appears, we may stand boldly before him and not have to hang our heads in shame. Since you know that the chosen one always does what is right, you can be sure that the great spirit is the father of all who walk in right ways. So the passage highlights another key focus of the letter. And, and the highlight I want to uh, make right now is the word remain or some translations say abide, if you could put that up there. There we go. Is it meno? Is that how you would say that properly? Thank you to my Greek-speaking friends. Meno and its cognates. To remain, to abide, to continue to be present. To remain, to abide, to continue to be present. So in verses 24 to 27 of that chapter 2, John stresses the two means by which his readers can protect themselves. How do they keep from falling into this wrong teaching? And first, in verse 24 and 25, he says it's the apostolic tradition. What has been taught to you? They received it from the disciples of Jesus, eyewitnesses of his life, death, and resurrection. And then in verse 26 and 27, it's the divine anointing. Okay, The divine anointing. What does that mean? It means a mind applied to the scriptures and a heart open to the Holy Spirit. That are the Christian's spiritual safety net. Such is our graced privilege, the truth of the gospel of Christ. This is the way that we abide, we remain, or we continue to be present with Him. So the word "meno" suggests that the Christian faith is not confined to special moments of religious experience, as important as those are since the Christian faith is actually mostly lived out in the routine, ordinary days. Our spiritual development requires routine to stabilize us. And this reminder to remain in harmony with the teaching they once received and the spirit at work within them, the writer shares his heart as their pastor, offering encouraging words and an eschatological view of the world. If you've been around here very long, you know what that word means. It's the the view that says there's something bigger going on and we're going somewhere what they're going through now is only a part of a much larger story that's unfolding the story is centered on this truth verse 16 of chapter 4 we have known and have believed that love of god, the love that god has for us god is love those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment, because we are exactly the same as God in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. Those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters, whom they have seen, can hardly love God, whom they have not seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. God is love. Whatever is past and whatever lies before me, this truth remains. God is love. As that overarching eschatological vision of God it's that underarching hermeneutical tool of read the Bible. Okay, God is love. So having reminded the church of this eternal and eschatological truth, the letter ends with some instructions on how to live as one who remains in God. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Live in harmony. Remain with one another. The same spirit who keeps you in harmony with God creates harmony amongst those To follow Christ. So, in a masterful way, this letter outlines the good news of the gospel that God is love, the incarnate, fully God, fully human. Christ brings us in harmony with the Father, and the Spirit remains with us, guiding our path along the way. This relationship we have with our triune God is then worked out in community. So I kind of get why John Wesley was interested in this letter as a summary of the gospel. Now, what does this have to say to us? That was a lot of big language. Sorry if I lost some of you. What does it have to say to us at the start of a new college academic year? So in chapter 2, which is pretty much in the middle of the letter, the writer says this, But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So in reading, the, uh, in reading up on this verse, it became clear that this passage is a bit difficult to translate from the Greek. Um, look it up for yourself, uh, and you'll find quite a few different versions. I see Rob smiling over here. Nevertheless, there is a clear teaching. In this passage there is a clear teaching in this verse which i believe we need to hear at the start of a new academic year earlier today we read the covenant prayer this covenant prayer was between the faculty the students and our community and uh, in the introduction to that prayer linda reminded us that we're all called of god every one of us each person in this room is called of god we acknowledge today that we've come from different places and backgrounds. We have different stories. But the one thing that unites us is our yes to God's call. So at some point in your life, you said yes to following Jesus. You followed, um, you followed that yes with another yes and another yes and another yes. Maybe you had a no or a I'm not sure in there somewhere. But what's led you to this point in your life is a yes to God's call. The writer says, you've received the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. This was your yes to Jesus. You hear that? This Holy Spirit lives within you. This was your yes to Jesus. Then the writer says this, remain in fellowship or harmony with Christ. This means we are in continual relationship with the Spirit of Christ. The call we receive, the call we said yes to, it may have been in a moment, but it remains a call on our life, and we continue saying yes to that call, and we do believe that God allows us to say no to that call as well. We remain open to the leading and teaching of the Spirit, especially as we engage in study us students and faculty that stretch us. We recognize that maintaining a teachable spirit is a lifelong journey. Reading and meditating on the scriptures, it nurtures our Christian development. We learn by being open to what the Spirit of God may be saying to us through others, and this is done in community, as it was to those who received this letter first. The writer reminds us that the will of God is often better understood as we listen to the voices of those who compose the covenant people, who have also said yes and received the same Spirit of Christ. There's a section in there about testing the spirits as well. You all have been called. You all have been gifted with an anointing of the Spirit of Christ. And so I'm saying to you at the beginning of this year, remain faithful to that call. Whatever it is, God calls each one of us to follow him. John was a faithful pastor. He was a pastor who found himself navigating his congregation through an impossible storm. And his community was being battered. He distinguished his leadership with discretion and good judgment. With the aid of the Spirit and deep study, he cultivated sound theological instincts, which served him well in his task. He knew which issues were utterly essential to the faith, he knew where there could be no compromise. He also possessed keen insight into what made a made for a vital Christian community. John did not want a church that was orthodox meaning they believed the right things but they were unloving. Okay? He didn't want a church that knew all of the right answers but didn't love their neighbor as themselves. Any more that he wanted than he wanted a church that misrepresented or taught the wrong things about Christ he wanted both sound doctrine and a vibrant community and he refused to settle for less so this i suggest is the heart of ministry for pastor john this was the heart for his people or his heart for his people to be a community of spirit anointed faithful people living in harmony with what with a god who is love that's kind of my little summary of 1 John. To be a community of spirit-anointed, faithful people living in harmony with a God who is love. And this is my prayer for the NTC community this year as dean of students and as a member of this community. One are the ancient practices of followers of Jesus, something that's been passed down from generation to generation, as a sign of the gospel of Christ and the harmony of the Spirit is to gather around a table. We eat bread and we drink the cup as a means of grace, a means through which our relationship with God and each other is nourished and renewed. It's a physical act. I mean, we actually get up and do something. It's a sign of remaining in Christ, who, in John's gospel, put it this way, Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood remain in me and I in them. So today we're going to gather around this table as an act of faithful obedience to the call of God on each of our lives, receiving his grace and made possible by the blood of his son and enlivened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. If you'd like to learn more about the college, please check us out online at ntc.edu.au, and you can follow us on Facebook. We hope to see you again in a future episode.